Welcome, everybody, to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football podcast brought to you by the Amador Whiskey Company. I'm your co-host, Jeffrey DeGreek, joined, as always, by... This is Big Kurt here. Big Kurt, you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. I'm Big Kurt on Twitter at B1GKURT. And I am Jeffrey the Greek at Jeffrey the Greek. For all you fine-tuned Eyes on Big listeners, you can probably tell a little bit of difference in the audio. Why do we do a little bit different audio? Because we got a special guest, the one, the only, Dustin Schutte, the managing editor of Saturday Tradition, DS. How you doing, my man? I am doing great. I've got a uh, an adult beverage sitting right next to me here, and uh, I'm talking to my two favorite podcast hosts. So it uh, it doesn't get any better than right now. We made a we made a little bit of a rule that you before we recorded tonight. Yeah, you, you had to have at least two fingers of Amador whiskey bourbon down. I, I'm I can tell you I'm way past two fingers. I'm I'm I'm, I'm around. I, I've got a full fist. That's that's for sure. I'm, yep. I'm two fingers in myself. Yeah. So I'm the same anyway. I got another sitting beside me. <laughs> so we got uh, we got plenty in us. We got plenty to spare. Uh, so we have got a special show for you. Uh, we are doing the 2021 Eyes on Big Awards. Uh, uh, and we always bring Dustin on for this show. So that way we can have three people voting to kind of break the tiebreaker. Um, if we have three different answers, we will go ahead and roll the dice uh, to um, uh, figure out who the winner is. We'll see. Last year, we had quite a bit of rolls of the dice. I don't know if you remember. Maybe we'll get a couple more. Maybe we'll agree a little bit more this year. Uh, when we are doing the uh, uh, choices, it'll go Dustin first, our special guest. Uh, so I'll introduce Dustin. Uh, Kurt will go second, and then I will go third, and then we'll announce the winner after I go. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, since this is a topical podcast, we're going to go through a little bit of housekeeping items. Kurt, you okay if I jump in and and actually do the housekeeping items? You are not stepping on any toes. Go for it. All right. All right. So first one up, probably the most fun one to talk about is Jim Harbaugh all week long uh, seems to be flirting with the nfl is he gonna stay at michigan is he gonna go uh ds what's your thoughts i think he's gonna stay at michigan i think that this is kind of the uh, james franklin effect where you're gonna leverage more money he just took that that contract that that money you know that cut that uh and that reduced uh buyout and everything so i think that he's going to look at you know just just Hey, I won a Big Ten championship. Give me my money. Give me my contract extension. You know, we're recruiting at a high level. To me, that's what this is all about. Plus the fact that I think we've talked about Jim Harbaugh, quote unquote, flirting with the NFL every offseason since he's been at Michigan. So I just don't put much stock into it. Yeah, it's kind of like Brett Favre retiring almost, right? <laughs> Seems like yeah. every year there's a, there's threats of him leaving. Yeah, that's a smart answer. I like that answer. Uh, for me, I I could see him leaving. Because I just don't know how much more he can really accomplish at Michigan. I guess, you know, Michigan is a program that you could potentially win a national championship at, but they haven't been really recruiting at that national championship level. And he finally did it. He finally beat Ohio State. He got to the playoff. So I could see him kind of thinking maybe this is a pinnacle. I'm on the fence here. I'm going 50-50. Wow, yeah. I mean, Dustin pretty much broke down what I was thinking. Um I, I think it's uh, 
okay, I went your way a year ago and gave money to you. Now I want that money back and, and some more uh, for what I did. And then what Kurt brought up too. Um, if you got some strength, you know, it's all about bargaining when you have the power. He's got that now. I think he's the type of guy that would like to put even more emphasis on recruiting and program building, uh, maybe especially since he went up against Georgia. So now's his time to put some pressure on, on, on Michigan. And if that's what he's doing, isn't that what Michigan fans would want Harbaugh to do? I, I, I think so. So yeah, it's, I think we're pretty much all seeing the same thing here. Um, next one up, a uh, couple uh, uh, items just for, as far as personnel. Brandon Joseph, the very talented Northwestern safety. We already knew he was in the TP. He TPs out to Notre Dame. That's what, the second or third well-known Northwestern uh, football player that's transferred and gone specifically to Notre Dame. Um, the one thing I was going to say is I, I don't think Kurt and I – hide our annoyance shall we say with northwestern being an iowa and illinois fan with that being said um when a program like northwestern that 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 relies on development when they find a diamond in the rough develop it and lose it like that i mean just the the college football purist in me i just i don't like to see it yeah, I, I don't like it either, and especially when you have such a talented guy and a guy that was – he was the big reason why they got to the Big Ten championship game. And you know what's funny is, like, one of the key guys against the transfer portal and this this uh, immediate eligibility has been Pat Fitzgerald uh, because I think he knows he works so hard to develop these guys, and at Northwestern you don't get the same attention as you do it at a place like Notre Dame. So I think he's – He's cautious about this. Hey, I'm going to develop these guys. I get the most, like Kirk Ferentz at Iowa, right? Like he'll turn a two-star guy into a fourth or fifth round draft pick. Uh, so I think he wants to guard against some of these guys poaching or some of these other teams poaching some of his players because we saw big catch Ben. Bennett Skovernak went from Notre Dame, or from Northwestern Notre Dame and Brandon Joseph now. So uh, it's interesting. I, I hate to see when you have a kid like an All-American type of player and an All-Big Ten player, I, I hate to see him leave the conference regardless of where they go. Yeah, I'm going to call this the Bennett Skoranek wormhole in the transfer portal that, that he created and Brandon Joseph is now just just following that wormhole from Evanston, not Chicago, to South Bend. This all this transfer stuff just makes me throw up in my mouth a little bit because it. You, Greg, you pointed out very well. Believe me, I want him out of Evanston, but yeah. what people never bring up is that Northwestern recruited this guy. They gave him a scholarship. They paid for the scholarship out of the athletic department. They invest a lot of time, effort, energy, money, you name it, into this kid, and they just leaves. Yeah, gone. And especially, it especially makes me angry when a guy leaves and goes in conference, because then, you know, you developed a guy that's going to go try to beat you. I, I don't like any of it. Sorry. And, and the thing is, is any of the coaches, you know, if Pat Fitzgerald complained about it, he'd probably get eviscerated for the most part by media and Twitter. And it's stupid. I mean, he, I think any coach in that position would have all the right in the world to be annoying. Um, PJ Mustafer uh, coming back to Penn state. He was rumored to go to the NFL. So that's a good get for uh, Penn state, so to speak, to get him back in the fold. Uh, Michigan lost a uh, D line coach to USC. You know, another thing, reason why Harbaugh maybe wants some more money is to up the kit for his position coaches, because when you have success like that, 
you know, that's the first thing that happens is people want to get in on that success and they start picking your staff apart. So that could be something to keep an eye on. Uh, another uh, uh, situation in the Big Ten East, Indiana lost their defensive coordinator to North Carolina. We kind of debated before we started recording, did they did they lose him or did he kind of get shipped to North Carolina? I don't know if anybody's got a take on that necessarily. Well, I did have a, uh, I did see something on there. You can read as much into this as you want, but apparently that uh, Gene Chizik was a supporter of Charlton Warren, um, gave basically gave him a uh, vote of confidence when Tom Allen, you know, called Charlton Warren. So I think that there's a connection. I think that there's a tight bond between Charlton Warren Mm -hmm. and Gene Chizik on some level. So that might be a a role, but at the same time, Indiana was two and 10 and you got to, if you have to blow stuff up to try to get back to where you were a few years ago, nobody's going to blame Tommy A. Yeah. I don't know they quote lost him so much as he got lost, but I did see Martha, the mop lady on the Twitters saying that some of these losses from the, the staff here are not, they weren't unintentional. They were, they were kind of, and I read into this what you will as well, um, but I trust Martha. It sounds like Tommy A, according to him anyway, him, her, uh, wanted to restructure their staff a little bit. And I, yeah. So I don't know. Take it for it's, what the, it is. it's the prototypical addition by subtraction. Uh, Ryan Day has been a busy guy too. The offensive <laughs> line, their offensive line coach moved on. He's obviously been making changes on the defensive side, even before the season was out. So a lot of Big Ten East teams suddenly moving around, keeping on the defensive coordinator theme in the state of Indiana. Purdue, we we thought maybe it was three to one, down to one, but we, we think we've gone from three defensive coordinators down to just the two with Brad Lambert going to Wake Forest. Fair to say that of the three DCs, DS, that Lambert was the the prominent defensive coordinator out of those three? I mean, I don't know how the hell you fix what Bob Diaco did in one season, but Brad Lambert figured out a way to do it. And, uh, I mean, that's a huge loss for Purdue. I mean, significant. They're going to be on their fourth defensive coordinator in four years. I, I don't I don't know how they're going to be able to replicate what they did. Yeah, uh, Lambert did what Diaco had undone before him. It, just remarkable. I, I – this – does anybody know, is there a connection to Wake here with, with Lambert? Because to me, this he was doing so well there. One of the best coordinators in the country. Why do you take – I know Wake had probably a little better season than, than Purdue, but that's a lateral move to me. I don't understand, unless he got a lot more money. I didn't see the money on this one. But um, I, I'm not, I'm a, I was a little confused by it, I guess. Uh, if I – you know, obviously there could be personality things that we don't know about. Um, I have a lot of respect for Jeff Brom as a play caller. I'd be curious to know what he's the type of boss. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm literally kind of conspiracy theory in this, this thing, but I, I just feel like I at least have a pretty good guess with that. And then the other side of it is, um, I mean, Purdue had one of the best defenses in the Big Ten West this year, and it's just – one of many good defenses. You go to the ACC and have a defense that good, you stand out next to your brethren. So I don't know. Those are just a couple theories for mine on why a guy would make that move. 
Yeah, he also had – he did – he was previously a defensive coordinator or linebackers coach at Wake Forest. He has ties to there. I don't know about the – I don't know about Dave Clawson and, and the rest of that, but he did at one time work at Wake Forest. So maybe it's a, it's a homecoming, I guess, for him. Staying in the coordinators in the Big Ten West, Illinois hired their offensive coordinator after somewhat of a surprise firing. Uh, Kurt, you got anything you want to add? Yeah, I, I was on the fence about the firing. I'm not a big fan of making a lot of changes. That's really bold to fire a guy that you handpicked after one season. Now, Line fans, I get it. The offense was not pretty, and I think you do have to blame Tony Peterson, the offensive coordinator, for a lot of that. But, you know, he, ha- he had a system that uh, Bielema wanted to run, and he was, I will say, he was improving as the season went on. The, the offense started becoming serviceable by the end of the year. And I, I would even say last couple of games, I thought he did a pretty good job calling plays, which is people were highly critical of him. They should have been. Now, so I, I wasn't necessarily in love with firing him, but I kind of understood it. So they did hire Barry Lunny Jr. out of UTSA, who – Beat the Illini this year. I was going to say, they got, a, they got a good look at him in September. They got a good look at him. Uh, Beal almost liked what he saw. They beat the Illini 37 to 30. Had a great offensive output. Had a couple a couple players they just had no answers for. And the, the thing that shocks me a little bit about this hire is the style of play that, that Barry Lonnie Jr. runs. He's a big RPO guy. That's not what Tony Peterson does did and that's not what I thought Brett would want to do he's also a tempo guy guy I don't know that they're going to be doing that I don't know how much different it's going to look than what he did at UTSA it was just kind of a surprising style that that Bielema went after now Bielema there is some history he worked for Bielema at Arkansas of course he's got the southern recruiting ties too which which is good so I'm, I'm not against what happened here I just guess I'm a little surprised at it all right, um, let's go to let's go to Iowa City. Riley Moss, Big Ten Defensive Back of the Year, coming back to the Hawkeyes. He had already put his name in to one of the Senior Bowls. I think most Hawkeye fans thought he was gone, so that's a huge boost to get to get him back. Um, the Hawkeye secondary took a took a big step back when he wasn't in the lineup, but one step forward, one step back. Dane Belton, who has been playing that cash role. He is declared for the NFL, so he's following in uh, Amani Hooker and Geno Stone, if people remember that. All three of those guys have been in that same cash position two years in the role and into the NFL. That's just kind of another thing for for Phil Parker to be proud of. Uh, and Tyler Lindebaum still hasn't declared. Uh, crazy, I mean, that he, that he still is there. It's like every Hawkeye fan, guilty conscious, wants him to come back, but we all know he should. He should go and go make his money, but we'll see how that goes. Um, and then we haven't forgot about you, Nebraska fans. Maybe the splashiest news this week. Casey Thompson, formerly with the hated, the hated rival, Texas Longhorns. And suddenly, a Casey Thompson that I guarantee you every Nebraska fan hated at one point just because he was wearing the burnt orange. Now he is wearing the scarlet and cream for Nebraska I put out a tweet, and you guys can debate me if you want, but just like that, I think you can make a pretty fair argument that Nebraska has the second-best quarterback 
in the Big Ten West. Now, some part of that is a conversation on the not-so-great quarterback play in the Big Ten West, but I'd put Aiden O'Connell a strong number one. But DS, I mean, what do you think? Casey Thompson, second-best quarterback in the Big West? Yeah, I mean, I don't know who the, the who you would put him behind outside of Aiden O'Connell. Um, my concern here, like, I'm not as – I'm not as high on this as a lot of other people. And the reason being is I think Nebraska just had the second best quarterback in the big 10 West and won three games. Um, now I think Casey Thompson can probably stretch the field a little bit better. He's probably a more accurate downfield passer than Adrian Martinez. So the skill set is a little bit different, but it is not going to mean much if that offensive line doesn't get rolling. If the running backs, if they don't establish a number one running back, like I understand that there, this, there's a lot of excitement. There should be. He's a good quarterback. Wow. He had a strong season at Texas. Um, I am just not ready to anoint Nebraska as a top three team in the Big Ten West because he comes over. Because I've seen, I think Adrian Martinez was a really good quarterback, and they still couldn't figure out a way to win with him. So that's my thought. And the other thing I have to say is when Nebraska fans love him, but they go through the statistics and you see all these numbers and the highlights from Casey Thompson – but for the love of God, please do not bring up the Kansas statistics. That's a shitty football team. Let's just <laughs> like look at the Oklahoma. Look at some of the other games he played against. We don't need to see what he did against Kansas's defense because I'm pretty sure I could have thrown for a for probably at least a hundred yards against Kansas's defense that day. Wow, um, bold call there. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's, yes. when I'm and when I'm pointing out uh, him being the second best quarterback, I mean, I guess I'm not going so far as to say that. That means Nebraska is the second best team, but you know they're they're gonna they're gonna have their cool whip offense under under Whipple, the new offensive <laughs> coordinator. Um, so I the, mean, the, and the guys that they have there, I mean Logan Smothers to me does not seem to be a fit for that offense. I, I would think Logan Smothers is probably pretty high on the potential TP you know announcement, if not now, sometime in the spring. I think Harburg, their other freshman young quarterback, I think he could be like a quarterback in waiting. But it seemed like to me they needed a quarterback to fit the cool whip style. And I think they at least can say they got that with Casey Thompson. Yeah, I'll go ahead and just take credit for the cool whip offense. <laughs> cool whip. We'll be using that liberally next season. Uh, I think good pickup for – Nebraska, they should be excited. Uh, he is talented. I think he led the Big 12 in touchdown passes this year. Um, I think he's certainly an upgrade for the Kuhn Whip offense versus what they have right now. So, yeah, second best in the in the West. Yeah, I would probably rate him there preseason as, as number two behind AOC. And with that announcement, Nebraska has wrapped up their 10th straight offseason national title. Congratulations to the Nebraska Cornhuskers. <laughs> last, last one to just try to, 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 to finish on, you know, it, it's, it's fun to talk about the Big Ten and make fun of the SEC at the same time. I mean, Purdue beat Tennessee. I saw the game. They beat them. Paul Feinbaum can call it a win if he wants. It's ridiculous. All of this comes down to the goal line play towards the end of the game, not the end of the game. Purdue still would have had a chance to get the ball back. And as, as we saw, Tennessee was a wet paper towel for defense the entire second half versus that Purdue offense. So that's one thing. The other thing I'd like to point out on that fourth down play, 
the forward progress was stopped. You don't have to have a whistle for the play to be dead with forward progress. There's two or three things to point at here to just blow past all of that and say that, you know, Tennessee got robbed. I mean, could Tennessee and SEC fans be more on brand with how they've been acting a week after this bowl? DS, you're you're right in the lion's den. What's your take? Well, my first take is, you know, quoting that Paul Feinbaum tweet and putting it on Twitter was probably the worst mistake I've made in my six-year career of covering the Big Ten at Saturday tradition. Like, <laughs> I just can't – we are what? What is it, like? a week and a half, two weeks since the game. And they're still complaining about it in my mentions. It's crazy. Um, but this, so this is my biggest gripe and this is going to cover the entire sec. So I'll, I'll keep it brief here, but my biggest problem with, with people from Tennessee, the Tennessee fans complaining about this, the sec fans, like I oftentimes think the sec might be a better conference in the big 10. However, a lot of those people view the big 10, the way the big 10 views the Mac. And that sure. is, it's not even close. Like we saw through this bowl season, the SEC got its ass kicked by UCF, by Army. I think there was another group of five team that, that beat them in there. Purdue won that game. Forward progress was stopped. There was a Tennessee player pulling on uh, the, the running back. I can't remember who the running back was, which stopped, it should be a penalty, which wasn't Belayed. called. Yep. So there was... There were a lot of things happening. That that game was poorly officiated, both sides of the field. Tennessee lost. Suck it up. I mean, thank God there were no golf balls or mustard stands available, apparently, to, to trash the Nashville Music City Bowl field. But, I mean, that it, it was crazy. I was – I don't typically root. It doesn't matter. My paycheck doesn't change no matter who wins. But it's hard to, it's hard to see Tennessee win games just because of the way their fans act. Yeah, I don't know that I have a whole lot more to add. Uh, I, I like, Greg, that you pointed out, it, you don't have to blow the whistle the instant, the you know, like the discrete nanosecond that the forward progress stopped. The, the, the ref had clearly decided forward progress stopped. He was sprinting toward the spot and then blew the whistle. It doesn't matter when the whistle happened. He had already decided it stopped. But I think what happened here is just Tennessee fans have learned over the past few years that feelings matter more than facts. So they're just mad that they lost. And there you go. That's then. So they're right because they have a strong feeling about it. Bingo. Um, and just to add what you said, DS, about the SEC. I mean, I already said it on the previous podcast, probably 15 other times on other podcasts, but nobody is doubting the top of the SEC. You can't, you know, it's Saban right. and whoever that number two team is. When I get annoyed is when people act like teams three through 14 in the SEC is like perfect example, like the difference between the Big Ten and the MAC. It's just it's a it's it's a good conference from top to bottom. Don't get me wrong. But to pretend like it's just light years above everybody else with those other teams, it's just it's tiresome and 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 annoying. I, I don't know what else to say. All right. Anything else, guys? Do we jar anything else loose for anything you want to talk about before we get in the awards? DS is. I have just one thing. I got my hand. I got my hand raised here, like I'm in grade school again. I just wanted to. I just wanted to expound on what Kurt said a little bit back when we talked about the transfer portal. The thing I also hate about this with the NIL coming into the fact is when you have the transfer portal, immediate eligibility, and now you have NIL. You have a player like Caleb Williams who could potentially make a million dollars at his next stop. He was developed at Oklahoma, and for all of the things that Kurt said, that's where I kind of hate 
this where we're going with college football because you can develop a kid for one year two years three years and then he goes somewhere else and somebody else reaps the benefits and he gets maybe you know a a million dollar check or even just a hundred thousand whatever it is so that's another thing that i really hate about what's all going on and i don't really care about the nil stuff i don't care too much about the transfer portal but when you continue to to you know stack the stuff one on top of the other it makes for not a great thing in college football and i think people are starting to see that at least a little bit how how dare you, Dustin? It's all about the athletes <laughs> and their and their you know fragile existence that we have to worry about all the time. Anyways, I don't want to get Kurt going on that because that might be the whole podcast right there. Should we get on to some awards here? Yeah, let's do it, man. All right, let's do it. All right, this is the 2021 Eyes on Big Awards. So once again, um, I will announce the award. Uh, DS will go first. Uh, Big Kurt will go second I will go third with my thoughts If we have a three way tie Which basically means we have three different answers I will roll the dice The one and two dice belongs to DS The two and three belongs to Big Kurt And I get the five and the six All right, first one up Let's get right at it The big player of the year Offense, defense, special teams Whatever you want it to be Dustin, who you got? I was tempted to go with a specialist or a punter here, but I did not. I, I steered clear. I, I wanted to leave that to you guys. Um, I actually went with Kenneth Walker, Kenny Walker the uh, third, because I just think that when you look at a player who meant more to their team, I don't think that there was a player in in the Big Ten who meant more to his team than Kenneth Walker. I know C.J. Stroud is going to be in that conversation, but I saw Ryan Day do it with Dwayne Haskins, with Justin Fields. He could have done it with Kyle McCord. He could have done it with Jack Miller. 1,600 yards, 18 touchdowns, a hellacious 197 yards, five touchdowns in one, against Michigan in one of the best games I've seen a Big Ten player play, uh, 264 and four touchdowns against Northwestern in the season opener. Just from start to finish, he had an incredible year. And I think without him, I don't know if Michigan State is a bowl-eligible team. I know they took on Mel Tucker's personality, but I loved watching it. Like, I was excited that we had this category just so I could go back and watch his highlights because he was so good like that answer. All right. So this is something that most people covering football are guilty of, myself included, Eyes on Big Podcast included, I'd say probably great concluded, is you, you think of best player and you immediately go to offense. I, I'm changing the rules here. I The best player on the best team this year was Aiden Hutchinson. So why wouldn't I go with Aiden Hutchinson having – being the player of the year. Uh, he had, he was part of the biggest win that, that Michigan's had in a decade. Uh, he had 62 tackles as a defensive end. I mean, that, that alone is incredible. He had 14 sacks. He led the big 10. And this is a guy that he's just super athletic, super twitchy. I think he translates to the NFL. So for me, it's Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, that's a great pick. Do you remember, Kurt, first game of the year, we saw Aiden Hutchinson coming off the line, and it just looked like he had springs in his step. Like, you could just tell he was dialed in from the first snap of the first game. For mine, I'm just going to go ahead, and uh, I'm going to get my Hawkeye fandom out. Um, I'm going to Iowa Center, Tyler Linderbaum. And let me let me show you what let me tell you why. Number one, there's not going to be a lot of Iowa fare from, from, from me from here on out, but – he was a preseason 
first team All-American. Do you know how hard it is to just stay healthy, let alone go wire to wire, essentially, as everybody expects you to be the first team All-American and you are wind up being a first team consensus All-American? It's hard to do that especially when you are snapping to two different quarterbacks throughout the year. Cadence change. I don't remember a bad snap ever. There was probably times where Tyler Linderbaum wished he could snap it to himself and run the play so that the quarterbacks didn't have the ball. And then outside of that, both guards, both tackles, it was they were moving all around left and right of Tyler Linderbaum the entire year. He's got to make the line calls. He, the coaches talked about him being a coach on the field for whatever, all that stuff that he went through to still be able to wind up being consensus All-American. And because I bleed black and gold, I'm going with Iowa center Tyler Linderbaum. Uh, so right off the bat, uh, we've got um, uh, Kenny Walker, Aiden Hutchinson, and Tyler Linderbaum. So we go roll the dice, the very judicious roll of the dice. I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of nervous. It's going to be a five or six, and uh, Tyler Linderbaum's going to win, but that's how she goes. It is one. So it goes to Dustin Kenneth Walker, the eyes on big, big player of the year. Good job, Dustin. I don't know if you remember, but you got you got royally screwed by the dice on last year's show. So it's good that you got a win right out of the bat like that. I'm happy for you. All right, next one up. The big leader of men, a true legend, the big coach of the year. Dustin, who do you got? I flip-flopped back and forth, and through most of the season, I would have said Mel Tucker. But I think the way you raise I think the way you phrase this leader of men, it just gives me that image of that Jim Harbaugh, uh, where he's standing there smiling on the field, like looking up, like it's nobody's got it better than us. I just think when you beat Ohio State, when you want, when you were, you won so convincingly in Indianapolis, and I don't mean to rub that in Greek, but the way they just dominated that game from start to finish, really the last couple games from start to finish, I go with Jim Harbaugh here. He was the one that was on the hot seat. He's the one that took the pay cut. He's the one that that gambled on himself. Mel Tucker was kind of playing with house money. Um, so I think that for all those reasons, and to get to the college football playoff for the first time in year seven, when he's under the biggest microscope, Jim Harbaugh is my uh, Big Ten coach of the year. I like it, DS. Uh, you mentioned Mel Tucker. I'm going to mention Jeff Brown, too. Amazing job this year. Could have easily gone with Jeff Brown. Uh, Michigan fans, you may want to clutch a wall here, maybe sit down if you're standing up. I know it's not, it's not, you're not used to Big Kurt praising the Wolverines, but I too am going to go with Jim Khaki Pants Harbaugh as the coach of the year. I mean, first of all, I thought it looked like a down year for the Wolverines. I didn't, I didn't see it. I heard Wolverine fans talking. I just said, well, they're crazy Wolverine fans. I, I, I don't see it happening. I don't see the playmakers. I don't see the quarterback play. I feel like they've lost a lot on defense. But the confidence they played in, the they had a belief like that I haven't seen from them in, in recent years. I mean, don't get me wrong. Kagi Pants has had some great seasons, but this one just it hit differently. And for me, I'm also going to go with some bonus points for dialing back the weird. He was almost at times normal with the, with the media this year. Unbelievable. I, I was just banking on that I was going to be the oddball. I thought for sure you guys would go Mel Tucker, which who obviously deserves a ton of credit. And, the, you know, the biggest thing that, that I feel like, you know, separated Mel Tucker – 
from the rest of the crowd for Big Ten Coach of the Year, who was the media Big Ten Coach of the Year, correct, if I'm not mistaken, is that, you know, he took, you know, Michigan State out from the ashes type of thing. But so did Jim Harbaugh. Now, I, now I know Jim Harbaugh had something to do with Michigan being in the ashes last year. But he rebuilt his staff as well. So kind of, you know, building it up from the mess that was 2020, you could say that about Mel Tucker and Jim Harbaugh. But what you can't say about Mel Tucker is that he didn't win the Big Ten. And you could probably just go on the performance versus Ohio State alone to point out the difference between Jim Harbaugh and Mel Tucker and why I also went with Jim Harbaugh. So, wow, I was not expecting a 3 and oh, khaki pants. By the way, he doesn't even wear khaki pants anymore. They're almost always gray or black now, which is kind of disappointing. But the big leader of men, a true legend, coach of the year, Jim Harbaugh. Unbelievable. The big defender of the year. This one will probably be pretty quick, I'm guessing. DS, who you got? Yeah, Aiden Hutchinson, for all the reasons Kurt said. I don't think I need to say anything else. Yeah, I mean, okay. Great, great analysis there, Diaz. Thanks for joining us on the Eyes on Big here. Uh, but I'm basically going to – I already played my hand with Aiden Hutchinson, so I'm going to basically go with the same thing. Pass it along to you, Greek. I tell you what, I about played my hand a couple times seeing Aiden Hutchinson's mom. hey All right. <laughs> Six fingers in, folks. Six fingers of Amador double barrel whiskey in. But yeah, I mean, Aiden Hutchinson, Hutchinson was elite this year. I mean, he was he was the guy that not only made the defense go, but I really think he was the vocal leader. I mean, being a D lineman, a down lineman, and getting get invited to New York for for the. I mean, I know he didn't win the Heisman, but to just be there. Um, you know, absolutely separates himself. Unbelievable year for Aiden Hutchinson. So the big defender of the year, Aiden Hutchinson. All right, so we went ahead and made a special one. The big defender of the year, not named Aiden Hutchinson Award, DS, who do you got? So I went with another defensive end, and I don't know if this is going to be a, a popular pick or not, but I went with George Karloftis um, because I think – I th- actually think that George Karloftis and Aiden Hutchinson, I think Agent Hutchinson, Aiden Hutchinson is better, but I think they're not as, I don't think the gap is quite as big as what people think. Purdue's defensive line is not good other than George Karloftis. When you watch teams' offensive lines block Michigan, they're sending double teams and triple teams to Aiden Hutchinson. Um, or they're, they're, they're single blocking Aiden Hutchinson. When you watch Purdue's defensive line, offensive lines are double and triple teaming George Karloftis, and yet he still had 11 and a half tackles for loss, Five sacks. He had a touch, uh, fumble return for a touchdown, a couple pass breakups, three forced fumbles. He was outstanding this year. I heard multiple people say, um, you know, I talked to Joshua Perry for Big Ten Network. I, you know, pick up that name I just dropped there. Um, he said th- oftentimes throughout the season, how's that for analysis, Kurt? Uh, he said multiple times throughout the season he thought that uh, George Karloftis was the best defensive player in the Big Ten. I think Aiden Hutchinson stole it at the end of the season. But for those reasons, I went with George Karloftis. I still think he's a first round, a high first round pick in this year's NFL draft. Yeah, touche there, uh, uh, DS. I, I did have Karloftis as my honorable mention here. And I, I like what you said about 
the gap between Aiden Hutchinson and him is not nearly as big as what people realize. I, who knows? He may end up being a better pro. The, the guy is incredible. I don't know that I can really add any more to that. He does. You, you rattled off some stats from him, but you, you know, he didn't have a ton of stats like, especially on the sack side of things, but like you said, it's because he was getting double and triple team. So I think that is, that's something in his favor, but I did not go with him. And this was a tough one for me. Thought about Jack Campbell. The Illini fan in me wanted to go with Kirby Joseph, but I didn't. I know the guy missed a few games. I'm going with Wisconsin linebacker Leo Chanel because he's the best player on the best defense in the conference. He, this guy had 96 tackles in nine games. That's incredible. He, he, he had eight sacks, two forced fumbles. Um, and also he just, he struck fear into the opposing teams. Like he struck fear into me when I'd see him on the screen. I, the guy impressed me so much. Yes. Not quite as good as Aiden Hutchinson, but for me, Leo Chanel, Wisconsin linebacker. Yeah. I thought about cheating and just giving my guy first. Cause I knew Kurt was going to steal my pick. I also have Wisconsin linebacker Leo Chanel. Um, I mean, right at the top of the Big Ten in tackles. I think it was second. Right at the top for tackles for lost. Fourth, I believe, in the conference for sacks. And perhaps number one in the conference for just intimidating opposing team uh, offenses. Like, it, it just seemed like every time I turned on Wisconsin, I mean, the defense always showed out. And it just always seemed to be Leo Chanel being the guy that was the leader, as Kurt said, of the best defense in the Big Ten. So I'm glad this this uh, award was DS's idea to have a second uh, defender. I love that because, let's be honest, the Big Ten outside of Ohio State and a couple other teams is a, is a defensive first uh, league. So us having two defensive awards I think is fantastic. So the Big Defender of the Year not named Aiden Hutchinson Award goes to Wisconsin's own Leo Chanel. The Eyes on Big Podcast is sponsored by the Amador Whiskey Company. Our unique process takes the highest quality Kentucky bourbon and finishes it in California wine barrels. This double barrel aging technique creates characteristics from the individual barrels that are blended together to make an exceptional whiskey. Great sip, neat, or in your favorite bourbon cocktail, Amador is the perfect go-to on game days or when you're recording a award show podcast. Amador Whiskey Company, born in Kentucky, raised in California. I started out with a couple old fashions, but I'm just going Amador on the rocks right now, gentlemen. All right, we'll keep Same going. Here. We'll keep going. Next award up, the big dude of the year. We can have a little bit of fun with this one. Um, doesn't have to be offense, doesn't have to be defense, doesn't have to be special teams. It could be a coach. It could be whatever you want to do. Have some fun with it. DS. Who do you got? Okay, so I had two. I had an honorable mention here. My honorable mention was Adrian Martinez. Uh, 2,863 passing yards, 525 rushing yards, 27 total touchdowns behind an offensive line that was did not, as you like to say, did not have its poop in a group for most of the season. Um, if I was having to play behind that offensive line, I might have transferred at, after my fourth game. Uh, they just didn't have it going, but for he fought through like what he had like a broken jaw. He had a high ankle sprain. He just fought and 
continued to play hard throughout the, the remainder of the season, um, even though he missed the last game or two games. I don't remember off the top of my head. but uh, So he gets an honorable mention. But my dude of the year was actually Leo Chanel. Uh, for all the reasons you guys mentioned, because it seemed like any time that Wisconsin needed a big stop or a tackle for loss, he was huge. I think it was that Army game. He came up with some huge plays near the end of that game. Um, he's just all over the field. He, I don't think he got even nearly the attention that Jack Sanborn did coming into this season or even Nick uh, Harbig at the end of the season. So he was just he, he was the catalyst. He was what made Wisconsin's defense so good. So for my due to the year, I went with Leo Chanel. Great analysis, and that is we by why we have the great Dustin Shooty on the show. So I I focused on offense here. You know, obviously you go C.J. Stroud. Don't really even need to ex- explain why. David Bell is who I really wanted to go with, but as I broke it down, couldn't give it to him. And the reason why, just not enough touchdowns this year. If there's anything you can really be critical of David Bell, there's very this is nitpicking, but he didn't have a ton of touchdowns. So I couldn't possibly go through this show without giving my guy Kenny Skywalker something. So he is my dude of the year. Don't need to go deep into it, as DS already did that. But for me, you know, not only did he have a great year, but he was a catalyst for the Michigan State great year. So Kenny Skywalker for me. All right. Um, I got a lot of honorable mentions, too. Um, I did not have 2 a.m. So Dustin – Thank you for including him because he deserves to be included here in some capacity. I mean, the dude played with essentially a wired shut jaw. If that don't make you a dude, I don't know what does. Uh, Shout out to Wisconsin running back Braylon Allen. They were not a team. It was not an offense until – I don't know if you guys heard this. He's 17 years old. He's he's a dude. Did you know that? 17. He's not even 18 years old yet. Wait, hold on. Can we fact check that? I am pretty sure. I don't think I believe it. I am pretty sure I've heard that. If you guys want to look it up close, quick on your phone, first time I've heard it. First time I've heard it. (laughs) But but in all seriousness, I mean that team. You saw even when he got injured in Minnesota, the the entire offense came to a standstill when he had a bum ankle. So Braylon Allen, uh, Iowa linebacker Jack Campbell, also very dudish. He is he is very close to being a Leo Chanel type of guy. I also have Purdue wide receiver David Bell. Just as a Hawkeye fan, I still, even though I know he's going pro, if I don't give David Bell his just deserves, I feel like the ghost of David Bell will haunt me. So I wanted to make sure I gave him uh, a shout out. But in the end, I guess the Eyes on Big Podcast think alike sometime. I also have Michigan State running back Kenny Walker. I didn't have him for any award above and and all of the stats touchdowns and everything that we've thrown out is all there you know what you know what locked it up for me for kenny being the dude of the year how anemic that michigan state running attack looked like in the bowl game versus a not very good defense like you want to talk about how a running back can make a big make an offensive line maybe look a little bit better than it actually was i think kenny walker did it almost the entire year so the 2021 big dude of the year, Michigan State running back, Kenny Walker. Kurt, what do you got to add? Got to make a suggestion here. Next year, let's rename this the El Duterino Award. Make a note. Somebody make a note of that. I like that. All right. This is the ne- this could be the biggest award of the whole show. This is one that's near and dear to our hearts. The 
special big guy of the year. So could be a special role type of player. Could be a, a specialist. DS, who do you got? Well, you're not going to have special guy of the year and not give a specialist. I feel like I could go down and give an honorable mention for every, whether it's a punter or kicker or return guy in the Big Ten. I'll save that. Um, I went with Iowa punter Tory Taylor. And this was tough for me because I went with <laughs> – I'm getting the thumbs down. Not for uh, me. I Not from Kurt – or not from uh, Greek, but from Kurt. But uh, when I looked at some of the numbers, it was really tough for me because – so many good punters in this league. I mean, the, the, uh, the, what is it? The Ray guy is at the punter off the top of my head. And so like that should have been all big 10 finalists right there. But I looked at the numbers, 49% of Tory Taylor's punts landed inside the 20 yard line. Half of his punts. He had a, he, this might've put him over the top. He had a season long of 69 nice yards on a punt. That was his season best. Averaging 46.1. And it seemed like, especially like that Penn State game sticks out. Even the first half of the Big Ten championship game, like in that Penn State game and in that Michigan game, those two teams were in field position hell for a large majority of those games, or for at least a half of those games. So I went with Torrey Taylor, but you could name about 10 different guys, and I would not complain about any of them. All right. You know, decent answer there from, from Dustin Schutte. Uh I'm going to go ahead and just say, you know, this is my podcast. I can do whatever the hell I want. F everybody. I'm going with Blake Hayes. I saw him in person twice. This guy, not only is he a great puncher. Not, by the way, I don't need any stats. I watched it. He's, he's the greatest specialist in the league. And Greg, you were there when we, we watched as he, he coffin cornered at the half yard line, right in front of us. I mean, literally at that moment, you could have just stopped the season. We could have recorded this podcast and that would have been my answer. And then the other thing is every, every break in play that there is, he goes onto the field and he studies the wind direction and, and he, he visualizes his next punt. This guy is a true craftsman Blake Hayes is my answer. And by the way, my honorable mention is Ethan Tabell, the long snapper from Illinois, who in his entire career didn't miss a single snap. 100% accuracy rate. That's got to be a first for all podcasts. We just got a long snapper shout out. That's fantastic. All right. I'm out. <laughs> um, probably people think I'm going to go with Dustin Schutte's pick here, and I am honored. I, I'll tell you what, Dustin, when I started looking up, because I knew I was going punter for this war. Like, there was no doubt about it, I was going punter. And I didn't think that I would I would pick Tory Taylor. And then I started looking at the stats you looked at, and I was like, holy cow, the amount that he did put inside the 20, it, it gave me pause to think about it. But in the end, I went with Penn State punter kicker Jordan Stout. Okay, so fifth in the Big Ten for punting average, third in the Big Ten for punts inside the 20, and then, hey, how about 13 of 16 for field goals as well as a 52-yard field goal, and I think he made all but one PAT. Like, And then, and then to try to point out who the best punter is, the, the Theisman, God damn it, I'm still pissed. That we didn't come up with that term. I'm, it's going to haunt me till the end of my days. I, I'm so pissed at myself. Anyways, 
there were eight big punters in the top 36 in the country. Eight Big Ten punters represent 22% of the top 36 teams in the country. Like, obviously, we're going to talk about defense and de- defensive coordinators. They deserve all the praise they can get. But but what helps out a defense is is pinning your your the other team's offense consistently. And we had punters all over the league doing this. And and I don't care how how much it, it, it probably maybe annoys some people how much I'm waxing poetic here on the punting. It makes a huge difference in, in the in the tenor of these games. And and I just want to give a shout out to to all the Big Ten punters. It it literally was the year of punting. I'm like getting verklumped right now. I like just thinking about the punting. It, it gets me hot and bothered. Um, with that being said, I mean, Kurt is so annoyed, Dustin. Like, I'm afraid he's going to shut his camera <laughs> off right now. But we do have three different answers. So we're going to have to roll the dice. I'm going to be I, like, like I'm going to show you the dice, Kurt. Like, I, I'm, I, I hope it's a three or a four. I hope you win. I hope it's, yeah, I hope it's Blake Hayes. <laughs> okay, here we go. Oh, God. Sorry, Kurt. It's me. It's the big uh, specialist of the year, Penn State kicker punter Jordan Stout. I rolled a six. Can buddy. we also can we also mention that Jordan Stout? That even though he wins this award, he was also responsible for the worst fake punt I've maybe ever seen outside of that Colts fake punt. I don't know what the goal of that was. Hey man, my God, that's on James Franklin. <laughs> that ain't that ain't on my guy Jordan Stout the way I see it. So I'd like an appeal on this. <laughs> All right, moving along, we have got four awards left. I take that back. We've got five awards left. Next up, this is one of the tougher ones for me. Two of them are back-to-back, really tough for me. The most exciting player of the year award, again, could be offense, defense, whatever you want. DS, who you got? Yeah, this is another one where I had a lot of thoughts. I primarily looked at the receiver position for this one. You could go David Bell. You could go Jahan Dotson. You could go with any of the three guys from Ohio State. I actually went, maybe this is recency bias. I went with Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, That Rose Bowl performance is probably one of the best bowl performances we've ever seen from any player ever. 347 yards, three touchdowns, 15 catches. Should have had a fourth touchdown if he didn't fumble uh, around the five-yard line early in that game. I mean, and, and this is what was crazy. In those final five games, 958 yards, 60 catches, six touchdowns. The 958 yards in those five games would have ranked fifth in the Big Ten for everybody else playing 12 games. That's insanity. Like, he's a guy – and you think about that Nebraska game when they, they struggled without uh, – I think it was Garrett Wilson wasn't in the lineup. He stepped up and had a huge game against the Huskers. So – I just went with Jackson Smith and Jigba. That five-game streak that he had with over 100 yards in all those games, it's unlike anything we've seen. Um, and then he, to cap it in the Rose Bowl and with just the setting, the, the thrill of that game, JSN, he gets he gets my vote for exciting player of the year. Damn it. I thought I was going to be maybe a little bit original here, but no, same same thing. And, and yeah, maybe recency bias with that amazing performance, but – Jackson getting Smith and Jibga with it is my answer as well. Um, got a little play during the Rose Bowl on that one. Also got a little play in a Jim Morrison reference. Got two nice little musical references in there that, that played well on, on the Twitters. 
not sure there's much more to to add, but I do think he was the best receiver in the Big Ten this year. Yeah, I'm going to do a couple shout-outs as well. I mean, you could have put Kenny Walker here, right? Um, that play when him and I forget which of the wide receiver when they're running down the field in the last 10, 15 yards and they're pointing at each other. I mean, that was a highlight of the year that I thought was so cool. I have JSN as down in as an honorable mention, and I put the basically I put the Rose Bowl alone could have won it for him, which actually it's going to wind up doing. How about a shout out to Iowa cornerback Riley Moss? I think a pick six is the most exciting play in all of football, and he got a couple of those this year. Got to bring up Penn State wide receiver Jahan Dotson. That guy is absolutely electric uh i just i can't wait to watch him in the next level but for me when, when i think about exciting like anything could happen when he, he has the ball in his hands and then just the overall fluidity of it i've got a different ohio state wide receiver i've got garrett wilson i mean i just like plays that that dude made that he makes it, it because like he might not seem that exciting because he makes it look so easy because he is such a freakish athlete, but I feel like he needs to get the attention. I mean, 70 catches, 1,058 yards, 12 touchdowns. He had another almost 100 yards and a touchdown on the ground. I, I just I just love watching that dude ball out. Thank you, Greek, because as you know, he is my personal favorite of the Ohio State wide receiver group. With Always that being on. with that being said, his teammate winds up winning the 2021 Eisen Big Most Exciting Player of the Year, Ohio State wide receiver Jackson Smith in Jibwa. All right, next one up. Maybe we're we're foretelling things here a little bit. The big unit of the year, which could be the biggest and best performing group of manhood that we have in the conference, DS. Who do you got? No foreshadowing on my end. I did not go with the Ohio State wide receivers, although I suspect that this would be a popular pick. I actually went with a tie between the Minnesota offensive line and the Minnesota running backs. The reason being is because with no more, like Muhammad Ibrahim goes down, you, you think, okay, maybe Minnesota, maybe they make a bowl. Then Trey Potts gets a lot of the carries. You're like, hey, Trey Potts is pretty good. Then he goes down, and it's Bryce Williams, and it's Kai Thomas, and it's Marquise Irving, and it's every other. Then it's Di Daniel Falalele in the guaranteed rate bowl, for God's sakes. I was just so impressed with the way Minnesota was able to run the football. And as we all know, covering the Big Ten, that starts with the offensive line. Like you have to have really good running backs with great vision and, and good ability to, to find the holes and to break free. But it's not getting done if you don't have that that massive offensive line, guys. I you might not know that either. Daniel Falele well, is six foot nine, three hundred and eighty pounds. You probably I, haven't heard that enough. I wonder where, like, comparatively speaking, like, are they bigger than the like the Vikings' offensive line? What do you think? I don't know. Has anybody ever, uh, yeah. anybody ever compared? I don't have the measuring tape or the scale out there, but, you know, it's got to be comparable. So for those reasons, I, don't, I couldn't decide. So I went with Minnesota offensive line slash running backs as my big unit because of what they did to lose the Big Ten running back of the year to still get nine wins and be in the Big Ten West race until the final uh, week of the season based on the running attack. That's damn impressive to me. Not bad. I like that. All right. So I'm just I, I can't 
deny what my eyes and ears are telling me. The Ohio State wide receiver group, I, they are just, I, I can't say enough good things about them. They are wide receiver you. They get nothing but four and five stars, and every single one of them seemingly plays like it. It's not just that they recruit well. Okay, I've said this many times in the podcast. Their development is amazing, too, because other other programs recruit four and five stars, and those guys wash out. They, they It's almost as if and, – and it's not that none of them transfer. Look at Jamison Williams. He transferred and became the best wide receiver on the best team in the country right now. But it's the development, it's the coaching, it's it's there's a mental toughness there, there's a preparedness, and then you look at the depth. Like they, they had a couple guys opt out of the Rose Bowl, and then you see Julian Fleming step up, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. step up, Emeka Egbuka step up. And by the way, if those guys weren't there, there's other guys behind them that would be stepping up too. So I just cannot go with any other answer. I like your answer, DS, but I can't go with anything other than the OSU wide receiver. I like both of your answers. Um, DS, shout out to you. Uh, it would have been horrible if we went this whole podcast without giving some sort of of nod to the uh, Minnesota offensive line and running back for for what they battled through. We should probably do some sort of big heart award, you know, to, to that group. That's fantastic. I mean, Kurt, I feel like, you have the correct answer, you know, for, for, for a lot of ways that you would look at it for me. I, I just, for the first time we've had this award, the big unit award, I had to go along the lines. Like it, it, this is the big 10, right? I went with the Michigan offensive line. Um, I mean, it, it, it was, I was two or three games in and I'm literally watching Michigan uh, uh, games on my DVR in slow motion because I want to watch what they were doing up front. They were absolutely mauling people. They were running, you know, some old veer stuff. We got pin and pull. We got zone blocking. They could do everything. And and then some stats to back, back it up. 2,988 rushing yards this year. Their top two running backs, 2,270 yards rushing at 414 carries, that's a 5.5-yard average for their top two running backs. They just motored through people this year. And how about pass protection? Sixth in the entire country for sacks allowed. They only allowed one per game. Now, obviously, that's partly because they were mauling people so much they didn't need to throw the ball a whole bunch and put their quarterback in a bad spot. I understand that. But still, all of that fits together to make one heck of a unit. So... Again, we have got a uh, uh, three different answers. So we got DS has got the Minnesota offensive line running backs. Uh, Kurt's got the Ohio State wide receivers. I got the Michigan offensive line. Here we go. DS wins. How about that? The Gophers pull it out. The Minnesota O-line running back combo for the big unit of the year. I'm not a Gopher fan, but I got to say, that's a pretty cool award for them, and I say they deserve it. All right, moving on. The big surprise entity of the year. So this could be a player. This could be a coach. This really could be anything. We wanted to kind of have fun with it. DS, I'm, I've honestly have been wondering for the last couple of days what you've come up with this. What is your big 
surprise entity of the year. It's probably not going to be as nearly as entertaining as what you might think, but I crapped on this idea so much for a month in the offseason, and then it worked. And that was Purdue having three defensive coordinators, plus Jeff Brom having a role in the defense. Uh, I thought that, I thought that, oh my God, they hired, they have three defensive coordinators, plus Jeff Brom said at media days, he's going to have his hand in it. So I thought they have three defensive coordinators and Jeff Brom doesn't trust one of them. That's going to be a huge issue for a team that's ranked near the bottom. But this year, they, they improved their scoring defense by a touchdown. They went from 29 points per game down to 22 points per game. Their pass defense went from 13th in the Big Ten to 5th in the Big Ten. I mean, you got to do what you got to do, uh, and it worked, and that's how they were able to get nine wins. The the trio of Brad Lambert, no longer there, Mark Hagan and Ron English worked. Jeff Brom having a bigger hand, and it worked. So I was down. I thought that this was going to be a failure. I thought Jeff Brom might be worrying about his job at the end of the season because of this move, and it turned out to be probably one of the better moves in the Big Ten this offseason. So kudos to them. There's probably a lot of better surprising entities, but for how much I crapped on this in the offseason, I deserve to give Purdue a little bit of credit for making that move. Great answer there, DS. Yours is, is similar to mine, but more specific. So I like your answer better than mine. I was deciding between Michigan State as a team, Michigan as a team, and Purdue as a team. Not high in any one of these three teams preseason. And I think my answer is going to be Purdue is a team. Um, you you already explained the defensive side of things. But if you recall, if you go back to last year and even earlier in this year, Purdue fans were very they, – they were pushing back against Brown offensively. And somehow they overcame that and, and, and not just made a bowl, not just had a good season. They won nine freaking games. I literally ha- – I mean, if you had – okay, so, like, let's look at like Michigan State. If you had told me that they were going to win, that they were going to do what they did this year versus Purdue, like, which one's more likely? Well, Michigan State's more likely. So, for me, the, 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 the surprise of the year is the Purdue Boilermakers as a team overall. Yeah, I, I thought this would bring out some good answers. I so far we're good. Um, I, I would say the at one point the surprise entity, Michigan just beating Ohio State. Right? I mean that was one that was that I was very close to to picking. I mean, it has been a foregone conclusion. You know, there's been going into this year one Michigan win over the previous what was it seventeen years? Right? So like. Michigan having the year they have, incredible, but almost in a weird way, them just beating Ohio State is even more incredible. Even going into that game, as hot as Michigan was going into that game, they were still a big underdog. Everybody was picking Ohio State to win that game, and Michigan pulled it out. So that, you know, that was, we were watching it in uh, uh, one of the Gopher uh, athletic uh, stadiums their basketball stadium before the Axe game. Everybody was amazed. So that that one was right there for me. And I kind of already said Michigan in general. But in the end, Michigan State and Mel Tucker ripping out 11 wins. It, I, I know it's the obvious answer, but it it also to me is the one that makes the most sense. Anybody remember what the their Vegas 
their Vegas uh, season total was back in August. Anybody either one of you remember it? Um, mm, it was probably like five and a half. Four and a half. Four, Four and, a half. and a half wins. They won 11 games. Now, I know I'm counting the bowl with that, but but even in 10 you know regular season wins, they went five and a half wins over their season total. That's got to be close to a record – I mean, you don't get much lower than three or four wins that Vegas typically puts for a win total. So to rip off 10 regular season wins, that is incredible. And I wanted to make sure Michigan State, you know, kind of got an award before I got out of here. So now you guys tell me, we've got my Michigan State pick. We've got the Purdue team in general, and DS has the Purdue defensive coordinator specifically. Are we viewing those two as as different categories? My opinion is... We've got two Purdue's, so I think we go Purdue, but I think we go more specifically DS's answer because his was better than mine. I like it. So we basically go with Purdue as a surprise and then funnel it down to, to DS. Honestly, his his because we were all made fun of it. Every single one of us. Every single person yeah, yeah. on Twitter, everybody that, that could type or talk out loud is making fun of the three defensive coordinators. So the big the surprise. And I'm still making fun of the three coordinators, even though it worked. Because it's just fun to talk about. <laughs> yeah. All right. Second to last award, the big yikes of the year. So not necessarily going to pick on a single player, but maybe disappointing on what we thought something was going to be or or maybe some sort of, you know, something that was in the media that just wound up being bad. DS, what do you got? Once again, buckle up. A lot of honorable mentions here. I've got Nebraska's special teams. Good God. Uh, I've got the Ference and Franklin back and forth. That was really entertaining, but I think that maybe if you ask both coaches, they probably wish that wouldn't have gotten as far as it did. Indiana going 2-10 and ten and not scoring 100 points in conference play. I mean, that offense was god-awful. Um but to me, the answer here is Penn State's run game. That was terrible. Uh, not one single running back hit 100 yards in a game this season. They were 13th in the Big Ten, ahead of only Purdue, who refuses to run the football. They don't even care if they get five yards on the ground. So Penn State's running back, when you look at who we were talking about coming in, Devin Ford, Noah Kane, John Lovett, uh, Keziah Holmes, just this bevy of running backs, you thought that they were going to be able to run the ball, almost maybe not at will, but you thought that they would be able to, with that group of backs, be able to kind of have their way. And their offensive line, I thought, was going to be really good. They could not run the ball, and that's a huge reason why they were 7-6 and six, as opposed to actually contending for a Big Ten championship this year. They still... Like they were in every single game they played, but I was real. I thought that this Penn State rushing attack was going to push maybe 200 yards per game. It was nowhere close. It was it was god awful this year. So that's my that's my yikes of the year because I had high expectations for Penn State and they got no push up front. Their running backs weren't good. It was it was, I don't know if it was scheme or if it was talent or what the case was. It was just it was bad all around. Great answer, Dustin. I'm sorry I disparaged you earlier in this podcast. I like that answer. For me, I'm just I'm going with Indiana. Just Indiana going winless in the Big Ten, I think, is what is what my answer is going to be. Okay, so if you had told me preseason that the glass pedics was going to get broken 
which nobody would have been surprised about, right? Yeah. I still would have said, oh, well, they'll still win three games in the Big Ten at least, right? No, they went over in the Big Ten. It wasn't that they were bad. It's that they were atrocious. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a timeout here to apologize to Indiana fans because they were always my plan B team. When I checked out on the Illini in the season, I started cheering for the Hoosiers because I just liked what they did. I liked Tom Allen. I liked the, just the, the, the tone of their program and liked a lot, loved their receivers, loved a lot of things, loved their defense overall. But this, this team was just god-awful atrocious this year. And it wasn't just that they lost games. It was the chemistry that didn't seem to be any. There seemed to be infighting amongst coaches, amongst players. And now you have coaches leaving. I mean, I thought this was a, a program headed in, in, in the up direction. Now they look like they're spiraling quickly towards the ground. I don't get it. So to me, it's the Indiana, it's Indiana going winless in the Big Ten. Now, as an Illini fan, I'm going to say honorable mention, Northwestern defense, atrocious, horrible. Yeah, um, not much I can say. I, I had, I as an honorable mention, I should say, I had Indiana down. I mean, it, it was all set up. Um, something I've been saying a lot on Twitter is, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember when Iowa was going to start 0-2 this year, losing to Indiana and Iowa State. I heard that over and over again. And by the end of the first half, it was like Indiana's season was done. I mean, it kind of – it it, it – it went downhill fast, as fast as I've ever seen. Uh, I had Nebraska as well. You could have got, I could have gone with special teams, but I went with how it should be mathematically impossible to go zero and nine in single digit games. Like, like that shouldn't even be be possible. Um, that that you don't win one of those games. That's incredible, and I, I I set that up horribly. I I actually have that as my other honorable mention that I have down but for me it was a bullet for the the biggest yikes of the year eyes on big podcaster Jeffrey the Greek said that Maryland was going to win one football contest on the year that is my pick for the eyes on big yikes of the year Maryland won seven times more football games than I predicted them to win I locked horns with hell in the shell all August and into September um it and and it was over by the end of September, of course. You know, I by the way, I was banking on what my thought process was is there was going to be a snowball effect. I thought they would lose the opener to West Virginia, so they win the opener. They've already tied my win total that I have for the year. And the other one was like a horrible group of five teams, so you knew they were going to get a two wins. But my thought process was they would lose that game, and there would be they would lose to Kent State, which I thought was going to be really, really good this year. And then there was going to be a snowball effect mixed in with my thought process is if Tulia Tungaviola ever got hurt, the whole team would fold, but he never got hurt. They kept battling. So anyways, I just wanted to make sure one last time I made fun of myself. So, all right. We have got three different answers. Again, we have got the Penn State rushing attack by DS, the Indiana football season as a whole, and my own boneheaded Maryland call. So here we go, rolling the dice. Indiana, number three. It took me a second. So Kurt gets it. The Indiana Hoosiers win for the big yikes of the year. I think all I think all of those could have won. 
All right. Sadly, we are on. Oh, oh, go ahead. I'm going to I'm going to bring one up one more point up just because it was so late in the season. But how about those Marcus Williamson tweets? Uh, that could be in the category for yikes of the year for Ohio State. I think I felt like I should just mention that because that was in the Rose Bowl, one of the greatest games we've ever witnessed. There was a catastrophe going on on Twitter. Uh, that was a sight to see. So that could have been a category for yikes of the year. It's, a, it's an honorable mention. I do feel like a couple Ohio State players have come out and said a lot of what he was yes. saying was either plat, you know, not true or at least stretching the truth quite a bit. One of them being your best friend that you name dropped earlier in the podcast. He was he was one of them saying that he didn't think that uh, that it was happening. Yeah. So I don't know. I I, I would I would I, I would you know n- not necessarily think a lot of that's true. Hold on, I'm going to pick up that name right now. <laughs> Where's that? Is it all the way on the ground or? Yes, it's on the ground. Here it is, Josh Berry. There he is. <laughs> all right we got last one here the big game of the year pretty much self-explanatory i would say though that it's a combination of the best the most entertaining game fair enough to say mixed with it being an important game is that did we kind of all use that as our okay go ahead ds so for one last time, I'm going to give it uh, a couple honorable mentions here. Obviously, the Penn State-Auburn game early in the season was outstanding. The Big Ten gets a, a regular season win over the SEC. I think that Penn State-Wisconsin game was criminally underrated. That was a great football game the first week of the season. That was outstanding. Uh, obviously, Michigan finally beating Ohio State with the snow coming down. Just the overall look of it, the intensity of that game. You know, the guys in the locker room or in the, the tunnel at halftime flipping each other off, mouthing to each other. That was awesome. Uh, Minnesota beating Wisconsin and then sending Iowa to the Big Ten Championship. That that was awesome. We had a lot of great Big Ten football games this year. But for me, it all still comes back to Michigan, Michigan State. I think that was one of the most entertaining games of the season in, in all of college football. Um, again, going back to what I said with Kenneth Walker, uh, to have 197 yards and five touchdowns, one of the best performances we've seen. That game, I think even Aiden Hutchinson had a big game that day. I don't remember what his stat line was, but he played really well. There was some controversy. So, you know, you got the Michigan, Michigan State fans going back and forth. There's some uh, spillover into Jim Harbaugh complaining about the officiating and then Mel Tucker calling uh, Michigan a soft program essentially a few weeks later because he doesn't complain about the officiating. But that game was so exciting. Two really intense head coaches, two teams that kind of took on the personality of their head coaches. Just a great game. That's a game I'm going to watch three or four times in the offseason just because of the entertainment value. It was it was an awesome game. So I, I did not personally go with a combination of, of most exciting and most important. And Dustin, great answer. Yes, I, I, I that was definitely the most exciting game of the season. For me, I just went with Michigan beating Ohio State. To me, that's that was that defined for me, the entire Big Ten season, and it's defined the Harbaugh era so far, and it really it sent shockwaves throughout all of college football, too. And it's something that preseason, I would have never guessed would have happened. I would have said, I don't know, 2% chance of that happening. And then it wasn't just that they won the game. It's that it was a close game in the first half, but as soon as the second half hit, they just started absolutely – dominating the Buckeyes 
and and they, it, it was a physical domination, as as you pointed out earlier, Dustin. So for me, it was the it was the it was the most important, I suppose, game of the Big Ten season. So I went with Michigan being Ohio State. All right, I need a favor from both of you, Dustin. Can you say thank you, Greek? Thank you, Greek. Kurt, can you say thank you, Greek? Thank you, Greek. For saving the podcast in the fact that neither one of you brought up the Penn State Illinois game. We even got an Illinois podcaster here. Eight overtime. We the entire no, so, hey, hold on. Stop, 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 stop. Nine overtimes. Nine overtimes. The entire Nine. college football. The entire college football world was watching that 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 dumpster fire that was a football game but you you have got to bring it up now by the way that's not my pick but it at least had to be an honorable mention okay. that was that will be one of if not the most memorable game of the entire season they will talk about that college football contest for years to come mark my words okay i was sweaty I, 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 watching I, that game i am glad that you brought it up yes um was it the best game? I don't think so. I don't think more overtimes means a better game. But I am glad that you brought it up. Thank you, Rick. We had to, you. we had to, we had to talk about it. Uh, shout out to the Rose Bowl, uh, Music City Bowl. Little bit of recency bias there, but you know we all kind of remember the USC Penn State Rose Bowl from what three four years ago. Nobody was going to the college football playoffs in that. People are going to remember this Rose Bowl and not just because of C.J. Stroud and J.S.N. That was in, in, incredible. But to me, I mean, I, I I think it's hands down. I mean, D.S., me and you are on the same page. October uh, 30th, Michigan State 37, Michigan 33. I mean, it's got everything that you could possibly want. It's a rivalry game. We're playing for a well-known trophy. The, the, the favorite gets out to a big win. But the underdog slash little brother, I'm not calling you little brother, Michigan State, but that's part of the, you know, what that is. They come from behind. Harbaugh has, has had issues beating Michigan State. It happens again versus the brand new coach in Mel Tucker. I mean, there's like 12 storylines you could write with that. So I also have the Michigan-Michigan State game. So that the winner of the big game of the year is the Michigan-Michigan State game so i should i go over the lineup here real quick and just kind of reset all the awards i think i can do this all right first up the big player of the year kenny walker running back michigan state the big leader of the men a true legend the coach of the year in what i thought would be a surprise pick but we went three for three michigan's jim harbaugh the big defender of the year wasn't a toss-up at all. That was Michigan's Aiden Hutchinson. The big defender of the year, not named Aiden Hutchinson. I figured we would get this one. Wisconsin linebacker Leo Chanel. The big dude of the year, Kenneth Walker as well. So quite a bit of uh, uh, a night for Kenneth Walker. The special guy of the year, unfortunately, thorn in the side uh, for this pick for Big Kurt, but uh, Penn State punter kicker Jordan Stout thumbs down by Kurt one last time here the most exciting player of the year Ohio State wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jibla the big unit of the year in a surprise pick and one that I think we'll probably hear the most of on Twitter the Minnesota offensive line and running back great pull 
by DS right there. The big surprise entity of the year is Purdue in general, siphoned down to the Purdue three defensive coordinators actually working. The big yikes of the year, we got two, kind of two out of three there, but wound up being the Indiana season in general. And then last, we just went over the big game of the year, the Michigan-Michigan State game. Well, there it is, guys. We're all done. That is a lot of fun. Thanks so much, Dustin, for coming on, man. Oh, it's always a blast. And, uh, you know, we have we seem to have a lot of the same following on Twitter. But if you're uh, if you're listening to this podcast because I'm on here, I urge you to follow Jeffrey the Greek and Big Kurt and the Eyes on Big Podcast. I don't miss an episode. Um, it's one of those things where if I see it, if I'm still awake at midnight and it, hit, it hits at midnight, I'm listening to it. I'm going to be up till two in the morning. So another great season for you guys. Great job. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, if you want to give me a follow too, that that's great, too. Kurt, anything else you want to add? Did Dustin just pretty um, much crush it right there? I, I guess I'm just going to pour another Amador and, and probably go to bed soon. Yeah, the only thing I was going to say is the, the only thing that stinks about this tonight is that we're not all in the downstairs athletic club right now in person recording. That's the only way it would make this more fun. I, I was actually going to make a joke at the beginning of the podcast. We got three guys, two of us single this is what we're doing on a Saturday night. You know, you can, <laughs> you can probably make one pathetic loser type of comment, but I tell you what, I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere than I, what I was tonight recording this podcast. This was a blast. Yeah, What are you saying about me and Dustin, Jeffrey? Uh, hey, I'm, I'm saying you got to leg up. That's what I'm saying. And then Wait, Dustin, are you, are you sitting outside by the way? Oh, Mike, you guys should know. I'm sorry. I'm going to use some foul language here. You guys should know I'm a puss by now when it comes to cold weather. So I'm sitting outside in this Florida 60-degree temperature, uh, sipping a bourbon. It doesn't get any better in January than sitting outside, man. (laughs) So, Dustin, I have to tell you, yesterday it was negative 18 degrees real temp when I went outside in the morning. First thing in the morning. So it was. It has has warmed. It has warmed all the way up to 12 degrees currently, right now. It was 78 degrees warmer here, and it was only 60 degrees here. (laughs) (laughs) To put it into perspective. Uh, Anyways. All right. You guys got anything else you want to add? Good. Ask for Amador. Yes. Hashtag Ask for Amador. I am Jeffrey the Greek. I'm Big Kurt. This has been the Eyes on Big Podcast. Thanks for uh, listening. We will talk to you soon.